0: journey does anyone else johnny turnside is here so i know he loves stories of a good journey because he and i both have a mutual appreciation of um all things lord of the rings slash hobbit-esque and those stories are both about wonderful um, journeys and adventures and at his basic level journeys are about moving from one place to the next so if i get on the number 19 bus <laughs> dave you can correct me if i'm wrong <laughs> if i get on the number 19 bus it's going to take me from tilly Drone into town yes and beyond <laughs> and beyond town so it's going to take m- journeys that are about movement they're about literally moving from one place to the next um, and if i get in my car and i drive across the diamond bridge i think it's called i'll move from tilly into bridge of dawn so it's about movement Um, But journeys can also be more than that, can't they? They can be about um, things that happen internally where we kind of discover more about ourselves. We might be on a journey with grief. We might be on a journey in discovering who we are. We might be on a journey this morning, some of us here, discovering who Jesus is. And so journeys are not just about the physical moving from one place to the next, but they're about us um, being changed. And journeys are also about adventure. I don't know about you, but you hear about people who are like, trek to Mount Everest or... I don't know, climb the Inca Trail in Peru, and you're like, "Wow, that is amazing, because those journeys are about challenge and adventure, and so I love a story with a good journey, and so we're picking up in Mark 8 this morning, where we're looking, as I said, at the disciple's journey, and there's a whole bunch of stuff in there about the disciple moving and seeing more clearly, being in a process with Jesus, on an adventure with Jesus, and just getting to know him better. Um. I just wanted to give a couple of like, it's almost like if you imagine when you dip into your favorite TV series and you get a bit at the beginning, which most of you might skip on Netflix, but you get the recap, which tells you about what's happened in the last episode. Do we all know what I'm talking about? Feel free to communicate with me. I love it. If you talk back to me, that's wonderful. Um, so I'm just going to give you a super like little rundown recap of what's happened just before this section in the Gospel of Mark. So we're picking up in Mark 8 verse 22 this morning and there's a couple of things that happen beforehand that are actually really important for helping us understand what Jesus is saying in this next bit of Mark. So the first thing that we need to know is that Jesus with a few loaves of bread feeds 4,000 people. So some of us might know that he fed 5,000 people. He already did that earlier in Mark. Um, but just at the beginning of chapter 8, he also feeds a crowd of 4,000 people just with a couple of loaves of bread. And then his disciples go around and they scoop up all the extra that's left over. So there's, he does it, just a few loaves, feeds them all, and then there's stuff left over. The second thing that we need to know is that after feeding 4,000 people, Jesus gets in a boat. Jesus does this a lot. He gets in boats, goes places. Um, So he gets in a boat and he goes over to this region called Dalmanutha. That's probably not how you pronounce it with a super West Coast Scottish accent. But he goes to this region and in that region there are a bunch of Pharisees and the Pharisees are religious leaders at the time and they're coming to Jesus and they want to test him because they've heard stuff about Jesus and they're like, yeah. I want to see if this guy's the real deal. I'm super skeptical about him. And so they come up to him and they're like, we want a sign from you. We want a sign for you. And Jesus, he's just not interested in proving himself to them. He's not interested in that because actually Jesus's mission is not to prove himself. It's to share God's love for the whole of humanity. And so what he sees in the Pharisees is that they have a heart and an attitude that's causing them to miss the point. They're blind and they're not seeing clearly. So he says to them, you're not going to get your sign. Get him back in the boat. So he gets back in the boat with his disciples and they go back over to the other side. And as they're crossing them um, over into the other side, Jesus says to his disciples, guys, I want you to make sure that you don't have hearts like the Pharisees. I want you to make sure that your hearts aren't out to test and to try, and to get people, and um, get me to prove myself, but actually, that you're seeing God's heart, that you're seeing God's hand, and what is happening here, and so the way that he says it to them is, he says, um, let me find it, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, is anyone here a baker? Some bakers. <laughs> you two bakers specifically. So, if you're a baker, or maybe you're not a baker, but you'll know that yeast is something that is used in bread making. Do we all know, Do people know that? So, the disciples hear this and they're like, yeast? He's talking about bread. He's saying that we haven't brought enough bread for the journey. And at that point, Jesus is like, guys, <laughs> I just fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, and I've also just fed. Four thousand people with a few few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Do you not get it? (laughs) This is not about bread. This is not about you not having brought enough bread. This is about you um, making sure that you understand like what's in your heart. And so the last thing he says to them is, "Do you still not understand?" Because he wants them to be clear on what it is that he's trying to teach them. So we're packing up. In chapter eight, it will come up on the screen. Twenty-two. So, very last part. But just before we read this, but he said to them, "Do you still not understand? Do you still not get it, guys? You're still not seeing." And then we have this moment. Jesus heals a blind man at Bethsaida. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So we've got the disciples' confusion, we've got Jesus' question of do you still not understand, we've got the blind man's healing, and we've got Peter's declaration about Jesus. And all these pieces are part of the disciples' journey with Jesus. Um, And I just want to bring out my wee prop here. It's going to really upset me, but I have to point this out. I know there's a mistake, guys. (laughs) I know. I only realized when I got here, and there was no way back. I was like, no, my N and my O are the wrong way around. so this is my little prop, I Don't know where I'm going to put it, here. Does everyone see what I have? So I've just got a little mirror. Do you want to come up and hold it for a second? <laughs> so I have this mirror here. This is my little prop from mine. This is just an old mirror that's come from our house. But mirrors reflect, don't they? And when we look in the mirror, we should hopefully see our faces reflecting back at us unless something has gone horribly wrong. Um, so mirrors reflect what we're seeing. Great, thank you. And what's happening in this passage is that something is happening in the physical. So this blind man is having his sight gradually restored by Jesus. Something is happening in the physical that is also happening in the spiritual. So the disciples at the same time are having their own, the eyes of their heart opened so that they can see Jesus more clearly, so that they can see what's going on around them more clearly. Does that make sense? Are we all with me? So something's happening in the the physical that is reflecting what is also happening in the spiritual. So in this passage, we see that there's this journey that's in motion, and the disciples like this man are being led to a place where they can see clearly. Um, And really in this passage, Jesus's heart is to help them understand, and he wants them to have a clear and unblocked view of who he really is. Um, So going back to the the blind man, in verse 25, it says, Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. It just reminds me of the story of another man in the Bible called Paul, and he was an apostle, and before he became someone who talked about Jesus, he was someone who went around murdering Christians. That was what he did. That was his life. He was called Saul at that point, and he believed that the message of Jesus wasn't true, and so he made it his mission to kind of go around and to murder people who believed um, in Jesus, to put them to death. And he has this moment where he's walking along a road and suddenly he meets Jesus. And Jesus is like, why are you persecuting me? And at that moment, Paul's eyes are blinded and he can't see until another man comes and prays for him. And at that moment, this man come and prays for him. Paul's eyes are open so he can see. But what he also understands in that moment is that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And he spends the rest of his life not trying to murder people in the church, but actually trying to build up the church. So Jesus, what he's trying to do in this passage is challenge what they think they know, and he's looking to lead them into a deeper, clearer, more truthful understanding um, of who he is. I don't know if anyone has ever seen um, the movie The Best Offer. Offer. Has anyone ever seen it? It's a pretty obscure movie. Um, But it's I like crime, I like thrillers, I like all that kind of type of movies. Scott loves comedy, so you can imagine the film battles that we have in our house. But the best offer is this kind of um, crime, kind of thriller type film about an art collector. And there's this one point in the movie where he gets this picture from this old house, and the picture frame is kind of charred, it's damaged, um, and actually there's mould that's covered the painting. Um, and he takes it to his friend who's an art restorer because he th- he thinks that there's something special maybe about this painting. And so what happens is they start to chip away the charring and they start to chip away the mold. And he sees underneath this incredible masterpiece that he knows um, was painted by this um, painter year, hundreds of years ago. And he realizes that underneath this charred um, picture frame, underneath this mold that covers it, there's a masterpiece that's worth like eight million dollars and I just want us to keep that picture in our head like what Jesus wants to do for each one of us is bring about the clearer picture is bring about the truth of who he is so that we can see him more clearly and I don't know about you but I would love um, every day more and more to have a clearer more truthful picture of Jesus um, in my own life. Jesus wants to lead us out of blindness and he wants to lead us into the truth of who he is. That's what he wants to do. He wants to open our eyes. He wants to restore our sight so that we can see more clearly, just like he did for this blind man um, at Bethsaida. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about two passages in the Bible that talk about you know, things that can distort our vision. You know, In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it tells us that actually the enemy of this world, as some people would refer to him, him as the devil, looks to blind people. He looks to keep them in a place of darkness where they don't know Jesus and they can't see him. Jesus himself tells us in John 8, 44, that the devil is a liar and that he looks to come in and he looks to tell us lies and tell us untruths and he looks to steal and to kill and destroy. That's his purpose. And so what Jesus is doing, what he wants to do is to bring us out of that place of blindness, He wants to bring us out of a place where some of the truths that we might have about him are also tied up with lies and bring us to a place where we have a clear picture of him. So I just want us to think about that just for a moment this morning. Like, where do we need a clearer picture of Jesus? Like, where are the places where maybe the mold has covered up or the charring has got in and the picture isn't as clear where the enemy has told us lies about who God is? When I was preparing this passage, I feel like even for some of us this morning, we believe that God is, um, that we don't like Scott said earlier, that God is a generous Father. Some of us this morning, that's really hard for us to believe that. Like, we think that's not true. And Jesus wants you to know this morning that that is true. He is a generous God. He is a generous God who wants to meet um, your every need. So where do we need a clearer picture of the Lord this morning? Second thing we see in this passage is I I believe, like a call to commit to the process. So Jesus wants to bring us to a a place where we have a clear picture of who he really is, but we in turn have to commit to the process. So the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida is a really interesting piece in this gospel because it's actually the only time that's recorded in any of the gospels where Jesus um, kind of goes through stages of healing someone. So in every other time, every other moment where he heals someone, he goes to them and he touches them. They're healed. It's all sorted. But in this moment, he does, he touches the man twice and it's a process of healing. So firstly, we see that he's brought to Jesus. So other people help him at the beginning of his journey um, to meet Jesus. But right from that moment, Jesus takes him by the hand and he leads him out of the village. And then he spits on his eyes and he touches his eyes and he asks him, what do you see? And at that moment, he, the man says, he says to him that he can see people, but like trees. So his, uh, his vision is only partially restored at this point. He can only see a little bit. And I want us just to hit pause here for a moment, because at this point, the man's vision is returning, but it isn't clear yet. And Jesus has started a process in his life that he's going to complete. So there's no doubt about that. He's not going to leave him in this place where the vision is a bit blurry. He's going to take him to the point where his vision is clear. And it's the same with the disciples. You know, they're in the process where they're getting to know Jesus. And they're discovering more and more about who he truly is. And when Peter says to Jesus in that later part of the passage, you are the Messiah, he's speaking on behalf of all of the disciples. And although he does kind of see, he doesn't see completely completely. Because when Peter says, you are the Messiah, what he is saying at that moment is, I believe you're God's chosen one. I believe that you are someone with military skill and superior leadership quality. And I believe that you're going to destroy all of God's enemies. But see, in his head, that was going to happen a very specific way. So in his head, Peter had a picture of like a bloody battle where God defeated his enemies. And actually what Jesus was saying was, it's actually going to be a selfless sacrifice that I myself am going to give. That is what is going to lead me. And that is what makes me the Messiah. So Jesus, um, Peter sees, but he doesn't fully see. He doesn't completely see. And I think that there's an encouragement in this passage to not give up on the journey. That actually, in the process of healing and in the process of journeying with Jesus, we have to keep keep going back to Him again and again. I imagine it almost being like if you were to go to the opticians. Some people here will have 20/20 vision. Who has 20/20 vision? So you guys, this is lost on you. That um, if you imagine if you go to the opticians and you sit down and you have your test and they start to kind of you, you've kind of been squinting for a little while and then they put on those glasses and you're like oh i can see suddenly i can make out the x on the bottom row it's amazing and you suddenly are able to read the you know those tiny letters the tiny things that they get you to read in your optician's appointment to not see the process all the way through would be to realize that you would be able to see a bit more clearly and then just walk out halfway through without getting any of the prescription any of the glasses that you need to then continue on. Jesus wants us to continue in the process of him helping us to see more clearly. So coming back to this man, Jesus finally lays his hands on him for a second time. And it's at that moment that he sees clearly. And it's really important to note that this isn't like, it's not, Jesus hasn't failed in his first attempt. Like Jesus didn't get it wrong the first time he touched this guy. And his vision was only partially restored. Jesus didn't get it wrong. That was part of the process. Jesus healed this man in two stages. That's what happened. There was two touches that he needed. And Peter in this passage, he doesn't always get it right. But he needs that second touch, that third touch, that fourth touch from Jesus. To help him to understand who Jesus truly is. And there are places in all of our lives here this morning where we need that second touch, that third touch, that fourth touch, that fifth touch, that hundredth touch from Jesus to bring us to that place where we can see clearly in our lives. There are places where all of us need that. In Philippians 1 verse 6, it tells us that we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the the day of Christ Jesus. So we're committing to the process with Jesus where he is leading us into a place where we can see clearly and we can know him more and we know the truth of who he is. So just where in your life today do you know that you need that second touch, that third touch, that fourth touch from Jesus to see more clearly? Because I really believe this morning that God wants to bring about um clearness for us and truth for us in places where maybe we felt like it's been confused or blurry and or maybe even again those lies that we've believed so we've got the clear picture that Jesus wants to give us we've got the um the commitment to the process so keep going and keep going back to Jesus for those touches that we need and then finally it brings us to the last part of this passage which is Peter's personal confession Um, And what I love about this last bit of this passage is that Jesus is looking to help the disciples answer a question that they've already asked. So in Mark 4 41, they say, Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. He wants them to know the answer to that question with no uncertainty. And that is what he's leading them through, that is what he's journeying with them on. He wants them to be able to answer that question. And so he starts by asking them, who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? And I love that Jesus um, starts with this question because he's making it clear that there are things that people that understand in general about who he is. um, But this is entirely different to the disciples understanding for themselves who Jesus is. You know, it's great to hear what Chuck thinks about Jesus. And everyone is talking about Bishop Michael Curry and the the royal wedding speech that speech preach that happened on that day and it was oh wow amazing to hear what he's got to say about Jesus it's wonderful to hear about what people have got to say about Jesus but it's not enough to just hear about what people say about Jesus because it's not enough for us to be able to just repeat what other people say it's not enough for us to just be able to, to just rehearse and to recite all the things that we've just heard about him. The personal nature of our journey with Jesus is right at the center. And Jesus puts it to them in that ultimate question when he says, But what about you? But what about you? Who do you say I am? And that question like, has been rumbling around my heart over these last few weeks as I've prepared this preach. Who do you say I am? You know, and I've really felt God say that to me. Sarah, who do you say I am? Who do I say Jesus is with my heart? Who do I say Jesus is with my lips? Who do I say Jesus is with my life? Because people should see that. Who do you say I am? And, you know, Jesus doesn't skirt away from it. He doesn't, like, move away from the fact that it has to be personal. It's great to hear what people say, but who do you say I am? Because the thing is, what is personal to us is what we then share in public. Whether we we know it or not, but what is personal to us in our journey with Jesus is what we then share publicly with other people around us. Jesus says in Matthew 12:34, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. It matters about our personal journey with Jesus. Our personal journey with Jesus really, really matters. A few weeks ago, I preached on um, Mark 1, 31 to 39. And that preach has wrecked me, I think, for the rest of my life. <laughs> because every day, every day when I wake up, I remember about what I learned from that passage which was about meeting with Jesus in the solitary place and Jesus took himself off he met with the father in a solitary place every single day he did that he took himself off and I love this phrase that I learned in that passage in that study it said because being around God is never a substitute for being alone with God And it's something that this is what Jesus is getting to, the personal, the personal confession of who we say he is really matters. You know, our Jesus wants us to know who he is for ourselves, not only through the things that people tell us. I don't know about you, but when I first um, became a Christian, people would tell me over and over and over and over and over again how much God loved me. And it was great to hear people say that. And actually, you know, sometimes I was able to say that back, you know, to other people. I'd be like, yeah, God loves you. But actually, probably personally in my heart, I believed that God was angry with me most of the time. <laughs> and so that then changed the way that I approached him. It changed the way that I came to him because I just thought he was mad with me and how the mis- all the mistakes that I'd made. And it wasn't until I actually personally got to know Jesus' love You know, those moments where I was aware of his acceptance of me, those moments where I said to him, can you just show me how much you love me? And he did, time and time and time and time and time again. And it's those things, it's those personal moments, me with Jesus, that have meant that when I say to someone now, God loves you with his whole heart, I really mean it. I really mean it because I... (laughs) by the grace of God, have come to understand that in a much more deeper and fuller way than I did when I first started walking with him. You know, the personal, our personal journey with Jesus matters. So Jesus says to the disciples, who do you say I am? Jesus was invested in the life of his disciples. He knew that it was important that they understood the truth if they were then to share his truth. One commentator puts it like this. Our faith ultimately cannot rest on what others say, even the church. The word we receive from the church, from the scripture that we're reading today, from the tradition, has to become a word living in us. So these words that people speak to us, the words that we read, these are wonderful, but it has to become a word that's living in us. It has to become personal. He says to them, who do you say I am? And Peter declares, him Um, as the Messiah, and what he means when he says that is the Lord, the one who saves, even though he doesn't fully get it, even though he doesn't see clearly, he's still saying the Lord, the one who saves, and so I just want to ask us, what is our answer to that question this morning? Like, if Jesus is here, and he's speaking to each one of us, who do you say I am? And you know, maybe for some of us this morning, we're like, I don't know, God, don't know, Jesus, who you are. That's okay, because Jesus is interested in your don't know just as much as he's interested in your certain declaration that he is the Messiah. Who do we say that he is this morning with our hearts and our lives and our lips? Because what we want is for all of those things to come together and marry up. So I just want to finish just by asking this question you know, where are we at in our journeys with Jesus this morning? As I said, some of us are probably literally at the beginning of our journeys with Jesus. We're just still figuring him out, trying to get to know him, trying to say yes to that clear picture that he wants to lead us into. And some of us, we know that there are areas where actually we are a bit blind to who Jesus is, or maybe there are places that have been covered up and we need to go again for a touch, a fresh touch from him. So we're just going to stand. And I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, so let's do that.